Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on two tickets to paradise. And whenever God gave me that, I was like, God, are you kidding me? Two tickets to paradise? What does that have to do with anything? And and honestly, the song was playing whenever I felt like I was driving in the car. The song was playing. He said, that's what you're preaching on. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but throughout the week, he, he gave me some things, and it began to fall in line and fall in place. And, and it will make a little bit more sense as, as we get going. Uh, in team, lead, or team meeting this morning... Chris was telling me timelines and where I needed to fall on things. And I, I said, well, what if I get 15 minutes in and I totally am done? And he's like, well, you just handle it at that point. So, <laughs> so I, do, I dodged that bullet, so I'm, I'm happy. So. so everyone do me a favor this morning. Everyone close your eyes. And I'm going to say a word, and when I say it, I want you to envision what that word brings to mind. And that word is paradise. And for some of you right now, maybe you're thinking of a beach with a chair. Maybe it's by itself. Maybe maybe your loved one is next to you. Maybe you see a cabin in the woods, in the mountains. Maybe there's a stream next to it. All right, everybody open your eyes. It's getting weird in here. (laughs) Everybody has a different thing when you think of paradise, a different place you go, a different thing you think of. And what I'm wanting to speak on this morning is the paradise that the children of Israel were called to. A, a place of promise, the Canaan land. And every one of us are called to something. Every one of us have a calling on our life. Amen. Your calling may not be up here, but you have a calling. Maybe your calling is in the oil field. Maybe your calling is to be a teacher. Whatever your calling is, you need to recognize that God's placed you there for a purpose. And because of that, we need to recognize who we are, and that's extremely important, and that's where this morning I'm going to be taking my scripture. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Numbers chapter 13. Yes, we're excited about the Word of God and excited about what God has to say in the house this morning. Numbers 13 Verse 1, it's safe to say that in our society right now, we are, identity is under attack. It is. Identity is under attack. And because Satan knows that if he can't get you to question God and who God is, if he can get you to question who you are, that's a major thing. You become, he, he, he can 
render you ineffective in the world that we live. If you question who you are, you become ineffective. And I can tell you personally, there's been many times in my life where that was the case, where I was not as effective for God as what I could have been because I wasn't really sure who I was in Him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all of those men who were heads of the children of Israel. And then we're going to jump to 17, and it says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way, and go southward, and go into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth there, and whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, what cities they be, uh, what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage. You know, that's important. Be ye of good courage. And bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first striped grapes. There's a lot of things that are in this passage. Like, so much. And it's so easy, and this is for me personally, it's so easy to read through Scripture and to really not dive into Scripture. Like, I had a youth pastor one time. He said, Scripture, we ought to tear it up like a junkyard dog. And when he said that, that just did not, like, resonate. And then he was like, ah. You know, that's the way we ought to be, though. We ought to get in the Scripture and be like, I'm going to take this thing and find out what God is saying to me. And as I began to look into this chapter, I was like, oh, man, that's, that's good. Oh, that's good. Wait, that's good. And, and then I was at the point to where I was like, uh, I'm going to run out of time. So there's so much in here. It's packed full of stuff. But I want to go over some observations from this passage that impacted me. Moses told them three times in from 18 to 20 to look at the land. And when he did that, I, I kept thinking, man, that's redundant. I wonder why he's doing that. And the reason why is because Moses wanted to get across that you got to focus on the promise of God more than you focus on the opposition. You've got to focus on the things that God's placed in you more than you focus. That's right. That guy up there, he gets it. You've got to focus on the things that God has placed in you more than you focus on your obstacles. And after he had said all of that, what did he say? Be of good courage. In, in, in the Bible, it talks a lot about courage. And as Christians, man, we've, in the world in which we live, we better take courage. Yeah, yeah. 
you better get hooked up with what God's doing and recognize that paired up with him, you're a force. You are a force. Up to this point that we've read, there are some things that I've glossed over. And what I glossed over is all the names of the people. And, and the reason why is because as I, was re, I, as I was preparing, I thought, man, there's so many of those names that I don't want to read all that. That'd be too much for them, you know. And, and I felt like the Lord kind of put a check on me about that because every one of those names has a meaning. You know that? Like someone will say, hey, Wes, I need you to do something. And that really doesn't have a lot of validity because my name, I don't think it means anything. Like it did when I was a kid. I told everybody that I was named after John Wesley. And I thought that that was really awesome. But then my dad told me that wasn't the case. So, <laughs> But every one of these names has significance. One of the men's names is salvation. One of the men's names is escape. One of the men's names is he restores. One of the men's name was cured. One of the men's name was God is my fortune. One of the men's name was my kinsman is God. One of the men's name is majesty of God. And I thought how neat it would be for every time your mom hollered at you, majesty of God, supper's ready. Because their names meant something. It meant something. Every time that their name was called, they were speaking life into those people. Every time their name was called, they were speaking purpose into them. And what's sad is that in this scripture, they didn't really get a hold of that. They didn't get a hold of the purpose that God had called them to. They didn't recognize who God was within them. You know, I'm guilty of that at times too. Every time I preach, there's, a, there's an element of self-reflection that happens to where I'm like, okay, this is what I'm preaching on. I'm preaching on identity. Lord, what, what do you want to say to me about identity? Where, where am I weak in this area? And I got to thinking, whenever Blake preached a couple weeks ago, and Blake was like, man, he tore it up. He did fantastic. And I thought, I'm, I, don't, I don't have as much energy as Blake. <laughs> and, and, and all the cameramen are like, praise the Lord. Because that dude's hard to follow. <laughs> and I got to thinking about promise and how promise, man, she did fantastic last week. And I got to thinking about the creativity of promise and how, man, I'm not, I'm not creative like that. And I got to thinking about Chris, you know, Chris with that hair. I don't have that. Like, it's like God was drawing straws, and he's like, Wes, he's going to get no hair. Like, and I'm not tall like Pastor Chad. 
And I'm just telling you, whenever you're standing next to him and worshiping, and he is like, he's huge. <laughs> Sue gets it. <laughs> I'm just telling you, every one of us go through a time where we're like, Lord, I don't know who I am. I don't, I don't feel like I measure up. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like I've got what it takes. And let me tell you that in all of those cases, God says, you're exactly who I need you to be. You are exactly where I've placed you. I know exactly where I want to use you and how I want to use you. And the thing is, we've just got to open up to it. We've got to become open to what God wants to do in our lives. Because I'm, I'm thinking about the children of Israel. They're literally standing at the edge of what God had promised them. They're standing on the edge of it. They can see it. Twelve of them went in. And then after they did, they came out. And let's find out what they said. In verse 26, or verse 27, let's jump down there. And it says, and they told him, and said, we came into the land whither thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. He said, they were, they were like, it's exactly the way God said. It's got milk and honey flowing. Look at these grapes. Two men were carrying a cluster of grapes. I don't grow stuff like that, but apparently God can. And it says, nevertheless. You know what nevertheless means? But. God, you can do all that, but. Lord, you've called me to this, but. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of the Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up once and possess it. There's a man who got the memo. There's a man who understands that God has called me to possess something and I'm moving in. Like, I love Caleb's mentality. Like, if you go on in Scripture, like, once they get in, Caleb's like, listen, there's my mountain, I'm taking it. It's me. I'm taking it. Like, that's what God gave me. That's what he promised me. I'm 85 years old, but I'm taking that. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. What kind of report? An evil report. That's interesting. It's interesting that when we speak something that's contrary to what God spoke, it's evil. Like, it may seem like, well, he might do that. God, God could heal. God might do that. Evil report. An evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, 
the land through which we had gone and searched it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. That means they looked at themselves and didn't see great stature. And it says, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Before, how did they know that they were grasshoppers in their sight? Did they stop and ask? What's it say first? We were as grasshoppers in our sight. They saw themselves as that. They saw themselves as not good enough to take the land. Even though God had promised it, even though God had brought them out of Egypt, even though God had split the Red Sea for them to cross, even though God had fed them, like a million and a half people God had fed in a desert, like God had done all these things and provided provision for them, and still you're looking at a people who are like, eh, not quite. That's a bunch of dumb people. <laughs> That's what I thought whenever I was reading it. That is, you know, God's people can be dumb. God's pe- I've been in church my whole life. God's people can be dumb. I've been dumb. I got to thinking to myself how many times I've said to my kids, you know better than that. And then God kind of chastised me and said, how many times have you said, Touchcraft, you know better than that. Like, we have all been in a place where we've done things that were contrary to what God had placed in us, what God was trying to birth in us. One thing that, as I was preparing, I don't usually tell, this is kind of weird, this is my thing, I don't know. I don't tell my wife everything that I'm preaching on because I want to make sure that I'm hearing from the Spirit and hearing from the Lord, you know, but sometimes the Lord works through my wife too. I need to recognize that. That's right. But when I was preparing, I said one thing, and she's like, don't say that. And I'm like, I'm going to say it. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, and what it is, is that, Before anybody on this planet was woke, Solomon was woke. And the reason why is he said this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, I don't do a whole lot of thinking in my heart. Most of my thinking's in my head. But if I think in my head long enough, where does it end up? It takes residence in my heart. And that's what Solomon is saying here. He's not saying, well, whatever you think yourself as, you can be that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it as a word of warning. Be careful what you let in your heart. Be careful the things that you let get in there because as what's in the heart, that's who you become. And we've got to recognize that If all the time we're thinking about 
things that are contrary to the word of God. If we look at ourselves constantly contrary to what God has spoken, eventually those things will take root in our heart and that will become who we are. It will become who we are. That's why in Romans 12 it says to renew your mind. It's important for us to do that. To renew our mind. God continually in his word reminds us of who we are. And I want to read a few scriptures about who God says that we are. In John 1.12, it says that I am God's child. In John 15.15, it says that I am Christ's friend. In Romans 5.1, it says I have been justified. In 1 Corinthians 6.17, I am united with the Lord in one spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, I am bought with a price, I belong to God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I am a member of Christ's body. In Ephesians 1, 1, I am a saint. In Ephesians 1, 5, I have been adopted as God's child. In Ephesians 2, 18, I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. And when I say I, get, let me get this across, you you. In Colossians 1.14, you have been redeemed and forgiven. In Colossians 2.10, you are made complete in Christ. In Romans 8.1-2, I am free forever from condemnation. In Romans 8.28, I am assured all works together for good. In Romans 8.31-34, I am free from any charge against me. In Romans 8, 35 through 39, I cannot be separated from the love of God. That's awesome. The love of God, I, I can't be separated from it. Hmm, man, that feels good. Got to figure out where I'm at now. In Colossians 3, 3, I am hidden with Christ in God. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22, I am established, anointed, and sealed by God. In Philippians 1, 6, I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. In Philippians 3, 20, I am a citizen of heaven. I have, uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, I have not been given a spear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And when I read that in first service, and this may apply to you too, but there are people that their mind is a wreck. Their mind is a mess, and it may be worry, it may be fear, whatever it is, let me tell you that that is not of heaven. That is not of heaven. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you need to stand upon that word. It is important for God's people to stand upon the words that God has spoke. Not the words that Wes has spoke, not the words that Pastor Chad has spoke, but the words that God has spoke. It is important for us to stand up and to take a stand in this world and recognize that we're standing upon God's word. In Hebrew 4.16, I can find grace and mercy in a time of need. In 1 John 5.18, I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. In Matthew 5.13 and 14, I am the salt and the light of the earth. In John 15.1 through 5, I am the branch of the true vine and a channel of his life. 
In John 15, 16, I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. In Acts 1, 8, I am a personal witness of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, I am God's temple. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, I am a minister of reconciliation for God. Don't tell me you're not called. Like, that's complete nonsense for people that want to sit back and just be comfortable. That's exactly what that is. You have been called, and God has placed a call on you simply by the words that he's spoken. It would have been real easy for the children of Israel to be content in Egypt. It would have been. Like, literally at every turn, that's what they said to God. God, why did you bring us out here? Why did you bring us here to die in the desert? We could have been in Egypt. We could have been slaves. That's essentially what they were saying. We could have been in bondage, God. That's where we were comfortable. I don't want to let my comfort keep me from what God has for me. I don't want that. You know, something I skipped that I really want to come back to real quick. You know, God's promises, the Bible says they're yes and amen. But God's promises also come with contingencies. God's promises, there's a standard in order to get hooked up with what God is doing. And let me, tell, let me show you where that's at. Or let me show you an example. In Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. And this is going to probably wreck every one of you because you're going to go home and see this scripture somewhere in your house on a coffee mug or something that you've bought from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> but in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 it says this for I know the thoughts I think for you or towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace not of evil to give you a future and a hope man that's good that's awesome let's keep going and then you will call unto me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you okay we've got to become engaged I see that and let's keep going what else does it say and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart What's 14? And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. Oh, that's no good. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you. Well, that doesn't make any sense. God, God drove them there? And then it goes on to say, all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to a place which I cause you, or from the place which I caused you to be carried away into captivity. That leaves us scratching our head because all those verses that we've got in our house about the plans and the purpose of God, you know what that means? We've got to do something in order to walk in the plans and purpose of God. Like you can't just drift through. You can't just be like a buoy out in the ocean and think God's purpose and plan is going to take me wherever I need to be because that's not what that says. What that says is you're, you're talking about a people who were in Babylonian captivity and the reason why they were there is because they had submitted to idolatry. Yeah. 
They had joined in with the people around them. They had become just like the world. And we as the church, if we don't come out from among them and be ye separate, if there's not something inside of us that says, I can't do what this world does. I can't live the way this world lives. But let me tell you that when we do that, we begin to walk in the plan of God. We begin to step into the places that he's putting us. Mm, It is good. It's a good thing to begin to walk in the plans of God. God said there was a promise, and they said there was a problem. God said there's provision, and they said, but there could be pain. God said possess, and they said we are powerless. I don't want to be powerless. I want to walk in the power that God has paid for. That's the thing. Most of the things that I'm talking about, you need to recognize that God paid for those things. Like the price has been paid for. I had a preacher one time tell me, you'll never fully grasp who you are until you begin to understand who he is. And that wrecked me. And the reason why is because there are so many Christians who never experienced the fullness of God because of that very reason. Like, it's a big number that never experience who God fully is in their life. They never experience the, the plans of God. They never experience the true goodness of God. Because, well, I'm just going to play it safe. Did you know that unbelief has a cost? It does. Unbelief has a cost. And faith, there's a reward. There's a reward to faith. And until the church as a whole, a corporate body, recognizes that unbelief has a cost and faith has a reward, we just kind of coast. It's important for us to know who God is. In James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. In Psalms 18.30, as for God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those who trust in him. In Psalms 116.5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. In Psalms 50, verse 6, God is a righteous judge. In Genesis 14, 19-20, he is Jehovah Elion, the Lord Most High. You know what that means? There's not anybody else who's beside him. No one else. Cancer's not beside him. Sickness isn't beside him. Depression isn't beside him. Unrest, whatever you're going through, it's not beside God. And there's not anything you're going through that catches him and he's like, whoa, didn't see that coming. In Genesis 22, 13 and 14, he's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. In Jehovah 126, he's Jehovah Elohim, the Lord is God. In Genesis 21, 33, he's the everlasting God. In Exodus 15, 25 through 26, he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. All the names of God, you guys need to recognize this, that all the names of God, 
they are not what he does. It's who he is. And that is important for us to realize. It's not like, I've got a profession. That's what I do. But that's not who I am. But with God, it's who he is. He is healer. And whatever you're going through this morning, you've got to recognize he is healer. He is your provider. He is what you need. I don't care what evil report you've heard. Let me tell you, God is what you need. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.